Invest in yourself today with our Insider Pro product, which gives you the career path to reach the next step in your cybersecurity journey. Join today on CyberAid.it using the discount code PODCAST. In this episode of the CyberAid podcast, we sit down with Kevin Davis, the Chief Security Officer for Armored Things. Speaking with CyberAid co-founder Ralph Sita, Kevin goes into detail about what Armored Things is working on and how their crowd intelligence is already being implemented around the country. Hey everyone, it's Ralph Sita, co-founder here at Cyberry, in the studio today and addressing our staff at our all hands later uh, after our podcast is Kevin Davis. Kevin is the chief security officer for Armored Things, which is headquartered in Boston. Kevin has been in the business of protecting people and communities for over 25 years, and uh, I'll let him explain that a little bit. But hey, Kevin, thanks for joining us today. Ralph, it's uh, great to see you again, number one, and great to be with you guys. You, you guys are doing great things. Yeah, uh, it, we should probably let our, our studio audience and our world audience know that Kevin and I have a little bit of a background. Um, our kids went to the same uh, Catholic elementary school. Uh, my son and his son played lacrosse together on club teams and then later against one another in high school. And uh, his daughter, Julia, went to the same uh, college as my daughter, Madeline, and actually carpooled a little bit in their first couple of years. Um, but uh, Kevin, again, before we get started, let's get a little bit of background about you and your great career so far. Sure. So, uh, Ralph, I'm a fourth generation uh, public safety uh, official, I guess. Uh, my great-grandfather and my grandfather were both D.C. firefighters. Uh, my, my dad is a retired Prince George's County police officer. Uh, I was born and raised literally right down the road from where you guys are in College Park. Yeah. So I um, uh, went to uh, an all-boys Catholic high school. To Ditto. Matha, right Ditto. Down, yeah, yeah, right yeah. Down Bishop McNamara. McNamara. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then because I grew up in College Park, I, the last thing I wanted to do back then was go to the University of Maryland because I, I, I told my parents I got to get away. So I went to Towson. <laughs> yeah. So back then that felt like I was yeah, going away. Yeah, big trip. Yeah, big trip. Uh, got an English degree of all things because I like to to write, and then uh, you know I went into policing, and uh, and I spent uh, 22 years in Prince George's County. I yep. did SWAT, I did narcotics, I did some homicide narcotic task force things, and and then I found myself um, at uh, at the top of the organization as the as the assistant police chief. And we had just come out of a consent decree, a big uh, reform effort. Uh, the crime in Prince George's County uh, was and still is at really an all-time low. Uh, it's been since the 1960s mm -hmm. that, that murders and violent crime has been this low in Prince George's County. Uh, and really, that's a testament to Rashern Baker and a lot of people who put a lot of work uh, into public safety in the crime fight. And the jurisdiction right next door, Anne Arundel County, uh, they had the misfortune of their uh, county executive uh, going to jail and their police chief being pushed out the door. Mm -hmm. So sometimes success has many fathers and failure is an orphan. Uh, the newly appointed county executive looked to Prince George's County because we were then and, and still are a, a considered a success story. Mm -hmm. uh, so we spoke. Um, Laura Newman ended up appointing me as her police chief. Uh, I stayed with her during her entire time in Anne Arundel County. Uh, when it came time for her to run for uh, election. Uh, she lost in the primary. So all of her top officials were kind of out 
Yeah, it's an unfortunate circumstance. You lose a lot of talented people, but they like to switch regimes, and that's just what happens. Right, yeah, Yeah. it's It's a tough break. It's it's part of the business. Yeah. So I I had become friends, and I had just traveled to uh, Columbia, South America with Tony Batts, who was the police commissioner of Baltimore at the time. Uh, And and he and I spent literally a week together uh, in Bogota, and we were kind of hosted by the U.S. Embassy in Colombia and the DEA. And and that country is a success story uh, working with the United States uh, to virtually eliminate their drug cartel organizations. Now, a lot of that operation has shifted to Mexico. We're still dealing with the heroin. But in in Colombia, that's a success story. So we got to, to know each other. So when I was out at Anne Arundel County, he offered me uh, the assistant or the uh, deputy commissioner's position uh, with him in Baltimore City. And at first I said, no way. You know, I've been doing this at the time, I think 25 years. And I said, I'm going to go wear a suit somewhere, go find a nice space in corporate America and and be off on the weekends and not have my phone ring at night for the first time ever. Uh, but he talked me into it. Uh, I arrived in uh, Baltimore in late January of 2015. Uh, Fast forward just three or four months down the road, the riots hit. um, National news. National, international International news. And it was a game changer. Uh, He uh, was then out. Um, The mayor fired him, and she appointed me as the 39th police commissioner of Baltimore. And and I was there for three years. I think the last, or I know rather, the last five mayors in Baltimore have all uh, fired their police commissioners. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of considered, you know, like like taxes and death, something sure. that's inevitable. It's going to happen, right? And, and, you know, and I remember when I first got the job and people were saying, you know, it, it's not going to last that long. Uh, I think the average tenure for a police commissioner in Baltimore is two years. So I lasted three, which is longer than most of my predecessors. Sure. Um, but ultimately... Uh, Mayor Stephanie Rawlings-Blake, who appointed me, uh, she decided not to run for re-election. Catherine Pugh came in. I I lasted with her for a while. Uh, We really didn't see eye to eye on some things. Uh, I I was uncomfortable with uh, her leadership style uh, and and what I perceived to be a a lack of ethics and integrity. Um, As it all kind of turned out later, she got indicted and she's on her way to federal prison. Right. Um, But you know, after 26 years, I was suddenly uh, out of law enforcement, no regrets, great career, enjoyed every minute of it. And uh, that's kind of where I made my way to where I am now working for Armored Things. Gotcha, gotcha. I mean, uh, Kevin, no matter where you were, Prince George's County, Anne Arundel County, or the city of Baltimore, you never walked into an easy situation where it's like, hey, Kevin, it's running smooth. Don't mess it up. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I even know in our yeah. county, Anne Arundel, I mean, huge opioid problem that you had yeah. to deal with. And, uh, you know, you were a leader in a lot of the stuff that was the, the was it Narcan? And yeah, we, so- were the, uh, we were the first police department in Maryland to uh, mandate that our police officers carried right. uh, Narcan. Narcan's the brand, naloxone's the, the drug. It's an mm-hmm. antidote to a heroin overdose. Gotcha, yeah. Um, but back then, 2013, 2014, there were only a total of 22 police departments in the country even carrying Narcan. Right. Um, so we were trendsetters. Yeah. Um, but I kind of got the reputation as being a fix-it guy, a fix-it leader. And, you know, jurisdictions organizations, even in corporate America, sometimes they'll need a fixer to come in and identify an issue, whether it's a cultural issue or something within the organization that that needs fixing. Um, Fix-it leaders tend not to last very long. They they come in, they fix it, they ruffle some feathers. Problems over, yeah. Yeah. Move on. Yeah. Yeah. So 
But well, yeah, lo- a, lots of great experiences. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you're a very cerebral guy. I mean, from some of the work I've seen you do on your history and reading up on you and knowing you for these years, I mean, you're definitely a thinker and you're analytical. And I guess that's probably... Tell us a little bit, you know, about armored things, because, you know, you're going from the role of protecting people, physical, commanding a huge workforce between Prince George's County and the uh, uh, city of Baltimore. I mean, you must have commanded two, three, four thousand employees at a time. Yeah. Um, so now you're in a little bit different area. You're per- protecting people still, but not you know, well, in yeah. per se, the criminal type of mindset. Yeah. Tell us well, about Armored Things. Uh, Ralph, it's definitely different. So I, I went from being in charge of the eighth largest police department in America to being uh, the chief security officer at a startup in Boston yeah. of about 35 employees. And we've grown to 35. Uh, right. A year ago, we were half of that. Uh, so I met these guys um, at, about um, a, two plus years ago. And and I was a police commissioner in Baltimore, and it was still in this post-riot environment where every every vendor in the world was coming to Baltimore, the city and the police department, and they were offering their version of a solution. Um, so, and I entertained as many of those folks as I could because I, I wanted to, to think outside the box a little bit. Uh, I was particularly concerned um, about situational awareness in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Um, 2016, the calendar year after the riots, we had virtually a protest uh, five days out of the week, every week for a year. Yeah. Um, I remember trying, tr- trying to drive through Baltimore over that time span. It was blocked. ridiculous. Um, you know, we, we had six police officers who were uh, on trial throughout that calendar yeah. year. And each and every time, it invited national media attention. Mm. So we went through a year of uh, not always knowing where the protests were going to be. We were we were guessing. Uh, we were relying on human intelligence, uh, sus- suspicions and hunches. And, and I, I was yearning for a solution at the time where, we, you know, wouldn't it be nice if in public spaces we could know where people were gathering and in a way that uh, would be an anomaly, so we could be aware of it and get in front of it. And, mm-hmm. and getting in front of it in public safety might only mean having a 15-minute heads up. But 15 minutes uh, is better than nothing. Right. So the folks at Armored Things, I met with their, their uh, three co-founders. Uh, Julie Johnson is uh, their CEO. Charles Kearns, the president. Their chief technology officer, Chris Lord. And he hails from Carbon Black, mm-hmm. which is a pretty well-known cyber company up Big in Boston. Time. yep. And, and he brought a lot of his folks uh, with him to Armored Things. So I met with them. And, you know, the best way I describe the Armored Things software solution to people is it's Google Maps for people and not cars. And it's a heat map of where people are in your space. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think 10 years down the road, it'll be uh, applied to smart cities in America. Mm-hmm. But right now it's applied to college campuses, uh, corporate campuses and uh, stadiums. Um, Venues, and, gotcha. and we're at a few places right now. We're at Fenway, uh, in, in in Boston. Uh, we have a deployment. We just stood up at Cap One Arena, mm-hmm. uh, right downtown for the Wizards and the Caps. Uh, we're at the University of Tennessee at Kentucky. So you know, we're, we're we're identifying the corporate campuses and the and the and the venues, uh, mostly major uh, major league sports gotcha. and the college campuses who have finite geographies, but they really care about where people are in mm-hmm. those spaces because. Uh, when something is not going right and people either are where they're not supposed to be or there's a lack of people where there normally are people, whatever the anomaly is, right. 
the public safety, physical security folks want to get in front of that. Gotcha. So when these events, uh, let's say Capital One, you know, when they're running live, you guys are streaming data, you guys are monitoring data, you guys are seeing where the the heat lights up, where people are, where people aren't. Are you making adjustments on the fly when you see this happen? Yeah, so Ralph, that's the whole point of it. So, uh, you know, large organizations, particularly organizations that run venues, they'll, you know, not unlike what we probably do, uh, they'll have an after action meeting when something's mm-hmm. already over and they'll look back in time and they'll, and they'll say, you know, what, what could we have done differently? Well, if we give you the data and the information real time to, to, uh, inspire you to do something differently while it's in progress or left of boom, mm-hmm. you're going to be more efficient. So when it comes to the, the major league sports venues, it really starts with ingress and egress. You know, how do sure. people enter your facility? Where do they go when they're in your facility? Uh, are they at their seats? Are they in line for a hot dog and a beer? Are they in line to use the restroom? Where, where are they gathering? Uh, and is their presence in your space consistent with your expectations of, their, of that crowd behavior? Sometimes it's not. And in those occasions when the crowd is behaving in a way that you think is um, abnormal, or deserves your attention, the data we provide real time lets decision makers uh, get more resources to a particular mm-hmm. uh, gate or to a particular uh, section in the stadium. Or on the operations side of it, it gets help to a, a vendor who's overcrowded with 50 people in line and blocking you know, egresses. egresses or something. And, yeah. then, and then there's a vendor selling the very same hot dogs and beer, you know, uh, 200 feet away with 10 people in line. Right. So a lot of the operational facilities folks have found um, a, a lot of use cases for, for our product as well. So that takes into consideration a couple things, security and safety uh, for one, but also like management of your assets if you're a venue o- owner. You know, sure. like, you know, hey, we could use a few more hot dog stands, for lack of a better word, yeah. here or there and so forth. And maybe we need to have better protection on this East Gate because that's where the concentration of people are going to be leaving from or congregating for some odd reason. So right. so you can adjust it on the fly if the people are, if the company is using your software, your platform. You can also use it as a, you said left of boom? Left of boom. Left of boom. What but, happens when it turns the right of boom? So, yeah, so yeah, that's, that's when the, you know, you know what hits the fan. Yeah. Is this, is your, is your platform useful in that now that it's mapped it out and people have gotten experience with it? Yeah. So, so a, a right of boom example, and that's kind of where we are today, right of boom. Um, as much progress as American law enforcement has made, particularly with technology, cameras, mm-hmm. uh, whether they're city watch cameras or body worn cameras, uh, the, the technology um, boom in American policing has been tremendous over the last 20 years, but we're still largely in response mode to things that have already happened, bad things that have already happened. So an exa- one, one thing that people always act as, ask us about with our product is an um, active shooter. Right. So the active shooter on a campus, the active sh- shooter who makes his way inside a stadium or, or university, does our, our software product tell us where that, where that active shooter, where that bad guy is with, with a gun? And my response is, it doesn't necessarily tell you where that bad actor is, but it tells you where everyone else is in space. So people tend to disperse or run away or flee from, or from that bad actor, or, right. they, or they tend to shelter in place. Now, the, the first thing that public safety is trained to do uh, when they respond to an active shooter incident in progress is, number one, find, identify, and eliminate the threat. 
But the second thing they have to do is they have to rescue people and they have to know where they are. And some of these spaces are so vast and so huge that they're really just guessing where people may be sheltered in place or mm-hmm. where they may be sheltered in place and, and harmed and needing medical attention. So what our software products will do is will, it will identify where people are in your space. And it mostly does that by cameras and Wi-Fi. Um, mm-hmm. So if, if you got uh, a device and uh, you pass through a camera, uh, the secret sauce of our software product is to be able to say, hey, right now in this podcast room, there's two people in it. Mm-hmm. And, and it does that jive with your expectations of how this space should be behaving right now? Right. If it does, fine. If it doesn't, you might want to go check it out. Gotcha. Gotcha. So as, as myself, or my family, my kids, when we go to venues, uh, you know, you just inherently think you're safe. Somebody smarter than you set up the way in and the way out and the seats are arranged so people can, you know, get out of the space, right? Is that a great assumption or should we be looking for a stamp of approval? In our world, certifications still mean things, you know, like it, it's a, it's a bar that you set. It's a check off for HR people when hiring people. Oh, this guy's got certification, certification. We're moving more towards knowledge, skills, and abilities and actually proving that you could do something, but the certifications still mean something. Should I be looking for a stamp of approval somewhere on the side of Capital One or the Anthem Theater or the University of Maryland yeah. Stadium out here that says, hey, this place is protected and meets the criteria of well, I, I'd say this about large venues. Uh, they're better than they ever have been, but mm-hmm. they haven't reached the, the mountaintop. There's still a long way to go. So the public, there's a public safety act, federal public safety act requirement that these large venues have to go through. Um, but there, there's still a, a lot that, that is left to chance. Mm-hmm. So typically um, the, these stadium environments or even college campus environments feel much better about their public safety platform when you're on their footprint, but once you're immediately outside of their footprint. So yeah. for a stadium, that might mean the parking lot. Uh, that might mean the roadways into the parking lots that lead to the stadium. So the ingress, egress. So it's that soft perimeter around a hardened target. Because once you're inside, you're, you're, unless you're able to sneak a, a, a firearm in or explosives in, uh, and that's tougher and tougher to do nowadays. But once you're inside most of these venues, it's a lot safer than immediately outside. And that's why you see so much attention go to the physical security, physical safety ballards, and all these other preventive measures that are in place now that prevent uh, vehicles from being used uh, as weapons. Sure. Um, and, and, you know, lone wolf bicyclists, for example, uh, being able to easily access your, your ingress and egress points. So a lot uh, is being done. I think it's better than ever, but I think we all realize that it's still, um, it's still a vulnerable place. Hey, Kevin, um, just wanted to touch base a little bit more about your platform, you know, without you getting too specific because nobody wants to give away their secret sauce. But, you know, when, uh, when people are at places and they shouldn't be at places, how do you identify them from the normal, the people that should be at places? Is there a way to do that? Yeah, sure, Ralph. So what the Armored Things software solution does is, is it integrates with your, uh, mostly with your cameras, your existing cameras, and, and your Wi-Fi. So mm-hmm. ev- everyone is carrying a device of some sorts, whether it's a cell phone or a laptop uh, or an, an iPad. So it identifies where people are based on 
existing technology in your space that you already have. So cameras, Wi-Fi, uh, ticketing. Uh, if you have other technologies, we integrate with with those as well. Uh, we're really a privacy first company. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't care that this is Kevin Davis necessarily sitting in this room, but we want to be able to tell you that there's a person sitting in this room and based on the alerts that you set, uh, that may or may not uh, jive with your expectations of what should be going on in that room right now. But it's agnostic. Uh, it's a privacy-first platform. We interact with colleges and universities all the time, mm-hmm. and, and and we realize how sensitive the privacy concerns sure. are, you know, the, 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 the big brother fears. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this is just taking advantage of what already exists, pulling it together, integrating it, and our solution can be uh, can manifest in a command center uh, on campus with a dispatch uh, at the college that we're uh, deployed right now. The campus police officers have it on their on their on their cell phones, so they're able really? to see real time where people are in their environment. Uh, Maryland. Well, I mean, we're out, we're out here in College Park right now. Maryland's got thirty eight thousand, forty thousand undergraduates. If Maryland was to use your platform, those 40,000 students somehow would be related as, yep, these are the good 40,000 and there's 20 people that are here that shouldn't be. Well, potentially. You know, I, I mean, it goes back to, you know, people always ask me, you know, who is, what's the profile of an active shooter? And more often than not, the, the active shooter is already associated with yeah. uh, his environment. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're all worried about stranger danger and that, 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 person, that bad actor, uh, making his or her way uh, into your space. But unfortunately, the, the way things have played out since Columbine, um, 20-some-odd years ago now, mm-hmm. the, the bad actor is almost always already a part of your environment. Sadly, it yeah, is. he's it's already infiltrated and so on. You become comfortable with that person in some ways. Uh, your solution scale across the board? Could I use you at um, a, a smaller venue like a Merriweather versus yeah. uh, Capital One Arena versus Wembley Stadium? Yeah, a- absolutely scalable. Uh, all it does is it, it attaches to your existing technology. Uh, we're not selling boxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're just bringing together, integrating your existing technology, uh, doing it real time because we want to we want to limit the uh, after action moments where, you know, we always say, I I wish we would have done that differently yesterday at this event. If we can give you data and information real time about what you may need to do differently during your event, we think that puts decision makers in a better position to keep people safe. Is this a must have or a nice to have type of a platform? You know what? I think like any other new software technology, people are interested in, in being safer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, and I have a lot of friends, and, and I know you do too, who are, are chiefs of security at these venues, and they're really accomplished, smart people with tons of experiences, but they realize that there are gaps in existing security. So mm-hmm. I think as time goes on, um, this is going to be a must-have technology to keep people safer than they already are. I would think so. In our world, you know, it, it's not a device, it's not a platform, it's not, uh, you know, a other professionals trying to protect you. It's a combination of all of them. And nothing says something went wrong until something went wrong. And then all of a sudden you're accounted and somebody's going to say, why didn't you have this? Um, Even though that might not have been the solution, 
It's just a perception. Well, I, I know in Baltimore, Ralph, we have uh, about a thousand city watch cameras, and, yeah. and the city's Baltimore is not that big of a city. It's you know about eighty or so square miles, and there is absolutely an expectation uh, amongst elected officials and citizens and the media that anytime something bad happens in a public space, that there will be a camera available to capture it, identify the bad guy, um, and and help the police solve the crime. Well, the cameras don't cover everything, um, but the more technology has sprinted forward in mm-hmm. the public safety environment, our human capacity to keep up with the technology, uh, there's a gap there. So I know in Baltimore, I had about a half a dozen retired cops at all times sitting in a city watch room, staring at a bank of cameras mm-hmm. that would cover all these walls. And they're just that they're applying their human capacity to watch the monitors, observe human behavior in those monitors, hope to see it in real time mm-hmm. so they can make a radio transmission to get a cop there to stop it. Um, that We got to have technology watching the technology, and that's what the Armored Things solution provides. Well, that's great. I mean, I, I can absolutely see that it's a, a really cool platform. It's data-driven. Um, the information that you're gathering, uh, you know, if somebody wants to take advantage and use it on their stadium and their venue, it's a tremendous asset. You know, it's just like, uh, you know, a lot of things, again, we do in the cybersecurity world. I mean, it's not about the more you have. It's about managing the right things that you need for at the time, you know, that you need them. Right. And right. It's, Armored Things looks yeah. like a great product, man. I wish you guys well, all the best. Well, thanks, Ralph. And I, I think what you guys are doing is tremendous. And I tell people kind of around our age, you know, that when we entered the, the 21st century, the, the big thing with federal, state, and local law, law enforcement was joint terrorism task forces. Right. So JTTF uh squads started to pop up all over the country, a combination of feds working with states and locals to fight crime. So now as we make our way into 2020, the big thing is cybersecurity task forces. Right. So um, I, I know when I was in Baltimore, I more than tripled our, our manpower commitment to uh, federal cybersecurity uh, task force efforts uh, because local jurisdictions have to take advantage of the expertise uh, and the resources and the training that that that's out there at uh, in in a way that they currently don't have. Yeah, I, I take, uh, I'm not surprised, but we have a lot of law enforcement personnel on our platform. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a handful of guys from your department, you know, using Cyberary, um, and we ha- we still have that now through you know. Uh, Prince George's County officers we have on our platform. We have the FBI guys. People have to know cybersecurity now. I mean, even in your world, you can detect everything physically at the venues and so on, but there's probably some element still that you have to monitor web traffic in some respects because it doesn't just all of a sudden happen that day. There's planning that goes into it. Right, right. And there's definite leaks of information that are, you know, somebody needs to find yeah. So, and I think the expectation out there is if, if something is predictable, it's preventable. Yeah. So when when we get that bad incident, uh, particularly when lives are lost, people look at um, existing technology and they make an assumption that okay, this bad act was predictable, so it should have been prevented. And, and I think what you you guys are doing at Cyberary and what um, federal, state, and local law enforcement is doing across the country with uh, cybersecurity acknowledges that we have to do a better job at predicting because the sometimes the, the information is right in front of us. Sure is. 
Well, Kevin, thanks again, buddy. I really appreciate your time today. Uh, very informative, and it's great to see it. Now we'll okay. go ahead and adru- uh, address <laughs> the troops at the All Hands. Thanks, Ralph. All right, thanks, man. Hey, this is Thor. Thanks for listening to the Cyberry Podcast, and make sure to check back next Wednesday for our newest episode.